This is the Aftermarket Radio Network. Welcome to another episode of Business by the Numbers. I'm your host, Hunt Emerus, CPA with Parm and Associates. So we got a special episode this week, and it comes a request from one of our listeners. So special thanks to Brian down in Texas for sending in some great questions here. Main idea of his questions really revolved around gray area expenses. And if you can write it off, is that always the best thing to do? So as a reminder, if you guys have ideas, you have questions of, hey, I'd like to hear you talk about this. Sometimes people will call and email in and ask a question. I've covered it or give you an answer on that. And a lot of times like this, I was like, you know what? We've never really kind of touched on this. And this would be a great idea for an episode. So if no one else likes this, Brian, I hope that you do. Before we get into that, I want to have a quick word from our partners who make business by the numbers possible. For over 30 years, Napatrax has made selecting the right shop management system easy by offering the best, most comprehensive SMS in the industry. We'll prove that to you that Trax is the single best shop management system in the business. Visit them online at napatrax.com. That's N-A-P-A-T-R-A-C-S dot com. If you work for someone else, there is no write-offs. Unreimbursed employee expenses are gone, right? Remember your technicians, you maybe even used to write off the cost of your tools, uniform, stuff like that. Gone are those days. 2018 closed the door on that. However, it could not be any more different if you're self-employed, as many of you are aware of. So Brian is a new business owner and wanted some clarification on what you should be absolutely writing off versus what you can versus what you should really stay away from. And also we're going to add on to it is just kind of general idea around expenses, right? What is the big kind of threshold we're trying to surpass? What is something that we're going to be looking at and then getting into, even if I can, even if I should, is there any downsides to running some of these expenses down through my business? So I have to get the disclaimer out of the way to the IRS listening to this or anyone. I am not advocating in any way, shape or form dodging taxes or writing off expenses that are not 100% legitimate, right? This is not what I'm trying to do here. Just trying to give you some background on it to kind of use this to your best judgment. Now the disclaimer is out of the way, let's get into the real issue here. If the IRS was to ever come and audit your business and scrutinize expenses of your business, you're going to have to prove two things. Is this an ordinary and necessary expense for your business? Ordinary and necessary. Keep that in mind. Those are the only two thresholds that you really have to satisfy in order for the IRS to say, yeah, this is a legitimate expense and we're going to allow this. Now, real quick on audits, because I know everyone is terrified of getting audited by the IRS. Realistically, audit risk for small businesses that we're talking about here is extremely, extremely low. So we do probably business tax returns, I would say 1,000, 1,200 business taxes a year. We see maybe one true audit, sometimes two true audits. They're just not really that common. The thing about it is most of the businesses that we're doing are not massive. And as long as you don't have really high expenses, The IRS doesn't generally just pull audits at random. Usually most of the audits stem from something. Something stuck out, you took a big credit, took a large deduction or a large write-off. And a lot of these are 100% legitimate what you're doing, but there's something that flagged it from the IRS. Now, the IRS is notoriously tricky on telling you exactly why they choose audits. Now, a lot of work has gone into this. There are entire businesses that kind of consult people to make sure that they're not raising any red flags to the IRS. 
The biggest thing that we know that causes this is generally large expenses, right? And it really doesn't matter which category it's in. There are obviously some categories that are scrutinized more than others. But what they're usually looking at is an expense that is outside of the normal range. Hey, you had this much in expense last year, and it is now 10, 20 times that size this year. Yeah, we're going to send you a letter to see what's going on. And that's generally how a lot of audits start. It's not usually, hey, you're getting audited. We're coming to your business or knocking on your door like you might see in movies. A lot of what the IRS is doing now is mail audits. Hey, Mr. Taxpayer, we noticed this expense. Send us some more information. Send us maybe the detailed listing behind that expense so we can kind of justify this, right? We call that a bench audit or desk audit. And these are a lot more common than a true audit because what they're trying to do is they're trying to kind of see if it makes any sense for them to come pay you a visit. And if you send it back and they're like, oh, that did look high, but all of these look like normal expenses, probably the end of that conversation. But keep in mind here, the IRS agents, these auditors are coming out there. They're not coming out there to bust you just to kind of scrutinize things for no reason. They're revenue officers. They are there to make money. And so this is why I always tell people if you have to look from the IRS's shoes, what do they have to gain? So let's say that you're a really small business, right? Like very small, $10,000 in sales and maybe $10,000 in expenses. Probably never going to have an IRS agent ever come and knock on your door to see what's going on there. Because what do they have to stand to gain? If they were to come out and they were to throw out all of your expenses, which is $10,000, they maybe can pick up $2,000 in revenue at best. What are the chances that all of your expenses are not legitimate whatsoever? Probably pretty low. So the IRS does have kind of a return on investment look at this of, hey, we need to make sure that when we go out and audit this person that we stand to be able to gain enough to pay for this audit itself. Now, the government is not always the most fiscally responsible, but generally they take that into consideration when they're choosing people to get audited. They're not going to go out to someone that they know they're going to lose on or there's just not much to gain. That would be very silly for them. Now, one of the things that I have to put out there is in the future, I think that we are going to see even a lower percentage of income tax audits. It's already extremely low. It's already the lowest it's ever been in the entire time of being of the IRS. But what I think we're going to start to see more is scrutiny in other areas of the IRS tax code. Like I said, when they're coming and looking at your business, really their biggest course of action is going to be deducting stuff that you're not supposed to or underreporting sales. Now, underreporting sales, something that still happens, pocketing cash, deleting tickets, just not as common anymore because so much stuff is run through credit cards. And again, like I said before, hey, if they come out and they're looking at your expenses, in order for them to kind of be worth their while, they have to find a good bit of expenses there. What I think we're going to see is I think that we're going to see a lot more emphasis put on these employee retention tax credits. There is people out there that have got hundreds of thousands, millions of dollars in credits from this employee retention tax credit. I'm not going to get into the this week, the ins and out, the risks. I've done a couple episodes on that already, so feel free to go check those out. But I want to explain why the IRS is going to be looking at these or should, because it's going to be the smartest use of their time. So let's say the IRS wants to generate a million dollars. If they want to generate a million dollars in the income tax audits, rough numbers, they probably have to throw out three to four million dollars in expenses. That is a massive, massive, massive amount of expenses. And depending on the size of your business, it's probably jail time if you're under reporting that much. 
However, if they want to generate a million dollars and you got a million dollars from the ERTC, all they have to do is come and say, hey, the stance that you took on that employee retention tax credit, we don't agree with that. And you have to pay us all that money back. So they don't have to throw out a hundred different expenses, just one. They can argue that one piece and they get a pretty big windfall of cash. That's an extreme example for my clients that got million plus in ERTC. Even you sitting there that got 50 or $100,000. Take a look at your expenses on your business. If you got $100,000 in ERTC, in order for the IRS to make that much money on your income tax audit, they would probably have to throw out all of your expenses and some of your cost of goods sold, which is realistically just never going to happen. We'll see. The IRS has talked about, the IRS has already said that they're increasing enforcement on the ERTC because it is one of the most abused credits we have ever seen. Bad news is, is if you've got an ERTC, probably increase your risk of someone to come and take a look at that. Good news is, is from an income tax perspective, probably a little bit safer. Now, one thing here I have to add before we go back to the ordinary necessary is kind of audits crossing over into different jurisdictions and different tax types. People ask me this all the time. Hey, if someone comes out and audits me for sales tax, is California now going to start looking at my income tax? Or if the IRS comes out and they start looking at payroll tax, are they going to start looking at my income tax stuff as well? So from a state and local perspective, it almost never, ever, ever happens because it's usually different jurisdictions. The people auditing you for sales tax have nothing to do with income tax or payroll tax or really care that much. So they don't usually cross over. Now, if the IRS comes out and they audit you for income tax or specifically employee retention, again, probably not going to go over to the income tax side because while it is still the federal government, completely different division. And honestly, it's the government. They just don't communicate that well. I've seen certain situations where I've been very concerned about this. You know, had a client that took some different tax positions in a certain aspect. And I said, oh my God, this is a can of worms. These guys had half a brain here. They're going to look at this and say, you know what? We probably should dive into a couple more things because if they use this much liberties here, what do they do everywhere else? I have really personally never, ever seen it happen. I've heard of it happening before, but those are usually very unique situations. So going back to the threshold that we have to prove to the IRS, we have to prove that that expense is ordinary and necessary, not does it look expensive, not, hey, that looks kind of cool, or wow, this is a lot more than we had paid for this in the past. Is this ordinary and necessary for your business? So what does ordinary and necessary mean? So ordinary, what the IRS says, is common and accepted. So that means, hey, other shops buying this. Is this something that you would expect to see in a repair shop? Necessary would be helpful and appropriate. Hey, is this necessary for your business in order for you or your employees to do their day-to-day life? So ordinary and necessary, there is a lot of crossovers. I was trying to think of this before of an example, and I was thinking, well, all right, is this ordinary? Do other businesses, you know, do other shops buy scan tools, right? Is that an ordinary expense? And what you'll see is a lot of times it's, you know, both. It's ordinary and necessary. Yes, a lot of shops buy scan tools and it is necessary for our business because it is very helpful and appropriate in a lot of situations to use that scan tool. Is it required? Of course not, right? You could do your job without scan tools or any sort of advanced electronics. Would you be very good at it? 
Probably not, which is why the necessary comes in as it's very helpful for your business. So let's kind of apply that ordinary necessary rule to two kind of examples. And I use these a lot. I've been talking about this and this is kind of a line that I've took out of my first class I ever taught. And it's a still kind of rings true today. So let's say you go to your accountant and you say, hey, I want to buy a four wheeler for my business. Can I write that off? Now, let's say that you're one of my clients, you know, might be a little bit different situation, but let's say that you're not one of my clients. Go and ask your account, hey, can I write off a four-wheeler? General answer is they're probably going to say, no, absolutely, you cannot. All right, I can't write off a four-wheeler. I want to buy an 80-inch flat screen TV. It's going to be about two grand. Can I write that off? No way, you can't. Why are they saying no? Because four-wheeler, hey, it looks fun. looks like something that you could ride with your family or around town. 80-inch flat screen, hey, that's probably something going in your man cave for home theater or whatever it is. I don't like the look of that. I don't like the sounds of that. And a four-wheeler, that's pretty expensive. No, you cannot write that off. However, it's we don't have enough information to even answer that question. If someone approached me and says, hey, hon, I want to buy a four-wheeler. I want to buy an 80-inch flat screen TV. What would I ask them back? No one ever likes to get a question in response to their own question. But really, that's the only way to do this. So, all right, Mrs. Client, you want to get a four-wheeler for your business? Let's talk about it. What are you going to be using that for? If my client comes back and she says, hey, we're going to be using that to drive around in the field and back. We're going to have fun with it. I'm going to do wheelies down the street in front of the shop. Then going to probably take it to my house and let the kids rip around at the farm. Is that ordinary necessary for your business? Absolutely not. So I say, sorry, Miss Client. Hey, that sounds like a personal use. And I don't see any business purpose or any way to justify ordinary necessary expenses for your shop. However, if my client comes back and says, no, that four wheeler is actually going to be used at the shop. And I say, all right, great. What are we going to use in it for? Well, a lot of times we have vehicles. Vehicles don't start. I got to push them or drag them into our bays. Before my guys were shoving it, it's become pretty physical. I actually had a guy get injured. So we're going to get this four-wheeler to be able to push and pull these dead vehicles into the shop. Even more so, we're in a place that we get snow in the wintertime and a lot of it. And the four-wheelers comes with a plow that I'm going to be able to use to plow our parking lots, sidewalks, and stuff like that. So right there, you can see something like a four-wheeler, where it's the same thing, but depending on what the justification and the reasoning is behind this, it's going to change if we're allowed to write that off for the business. Now, if the IRS ever came and looked at this, that four-wheeler better be at the shop and hopefully has that snowplow on if it's the winter time. Now, that TV is the same exact situation. Client says, hey, when I write off this TV, can I? What are you going to be using it for? Well, Hunt, that's going to be going next to my pool at my house. It's going to be able to watch a game, relax in the sun. So no, we're not doing that, right? Hey, that's a personal asset. It's at home, has no business purpose whatsoever. It's not ordinary or necessary for the business because it's not even at your business. However, if you said, hey, you know what? That 80-inch flat screen is actually going to go up in the shop. I'm going to use it. I'm going to put my shop management system on there. I'm going to put the calendar. I'm going to put the appointments on there. My technicians are going to use it to track their workflow, as well as we're probably going to use it for some training and stuff like that. Then again, we just shifted the classification of that same expense. That's in the shop being used for workflow, being used for training on it. 100% write off, 100% nothing we have to worry about for that as well. Anytime that you're looking at an expense, don't look about, hey, is this something that my accountant told me I can or told me I cannot? Take a look at it and say, hey, is this ordinary necessary for my business? And there is a lot of expenses, and this is the whole idea of this episode, that fall somewhere in between 100% allowable and 100% not allowable. Black and white. We live in the gray here. And the big thing is you're going to have to figure out is what level of grayness are you comfortable with? 
I have some clients that are completely black and white. Hey, unless it is a hundred percent legitimate, I'm not going to touch it. I don't want any unnecessary eyes in my business. And I get it. I have some clients that are on the opposite end of the spectrum. But whatever you feel comfortable with is what you need to do as long as you have a legitimate argument. What I always tell people is I want to have a defensible position if the IRS was to ever come in. I do not ever want to have an expense where I say, you know what, that's it. You caught us. We'd have nothing to show for it, right? What we want to be able to go back to them is say, hey, we have kind of satisfied our own reasonable judgment to apply the ordinary necessary tag to this expense. Here is the argument of why we think this is a business expense and why we took this certain tax position. At that point, they're going to say, all right, we agree with your argument and you're good to go. Or they're going to say, nice try. We do not agree with that. And they're going to throw this out. So that's the big thing. If you're going down through there is and the IRS catches something and we have an argument on it and they don't like our argument, we're not getting thrown in jail. They're not going to be charging hundreds of thousand dollars of penalties and fines, but we are going to be paying tax on that and some penalties and interest. Let's face it. Your shop management system is the single most important tool in your shop, period. You need Napa Tracks because it integrates with all the major players, including Napa ProLink, PartsTech, OE RepairLink, Epicor, TireConnect, Mitchell One Pro Demand, and more. Napa Tracks has leading edge tools and technology that your shop needs right now. Unlike the other guys, we'll be there after your installation with the best training and support in the business. Your training includes a learning management system that is tailored to each role in your company. Simply put, Tracks was designed and built for shop owners just like you. It all starts when a local representative meets with you to learn about your business to help optimize your shop's workflow, efficiency, and profitability. For over 30 years, Napa Tracks has made selecting the right shop management system easy by offering the best, most comprehensive SMS in the industry. After all, it's your shop, so it's your choice. Visit us on the web at napatracks.com. That's N-A-P-A-T-R-A-C-S dot com. What advantage are you really getting by writing off this expense? Why are we always choosing? Why do people always say, oh, just write that off? You own a business, write that off. So the big reason people are doing this is you're getting a tax benefit. And depending on what your income level is, probably on the low side, 15% on the high side, 40 or even 50% of that expense is going to be written off. Now, for most people, I would use a general rule of thumb about 25%. So let's say, let's go back to that TV example, right? And let's say that TV is $1,000. If you buy that for your house, it's going to cost you about a thousand bucks. And if you think about it, you're at actually, if you have something that costs you $1,000, you probably need to make about $1,200 or $1,300 to have enough money to pay tax on that and have $1,000 left over to buy that TV. However, if you buy it through your business, you are not going to have to gross that up because you're already using your business funds. And so that TV is going to cost you 1000 bucks. But it's actually going to be even cheaper because that $1,000 that we spend on TV is going to give us about a $250 tax write-off. So instead of that TV costing us twelve dollars or $1,300 you know, to gross it up, to pay tax, to have enough money to buy that TV, probably only paying about $750 for that TV. This is the big thing here, right? This is like you're going to Bed Bath & Beyond. You got that coupon for 20% off whatever. Writing stuff off in a business is very attractive because it makes anything cheaper. You're shifting by using 
pre-tax dollars instead of post-tax dollars. Now, I want to go into a couple common categories here, right, of where we see kind of these gray area expenses and give you a little bit more background and specific things that we do in certain categories. So one of the most common things is going to be vehicles, right? Shop vehicles, shop trucks, loaner cars, shuttles, etc. you name it. So again, big thing is, is this ordinary necessary for your business? And there's going to be some things that are very easy here. Black and white, 100% allowable. And that would be stuff like loaner cars, right? You went out and you bought five Toyota Corollas, and those are used exclusively by customers to kind of, you know, borrow while their vehicles being serviced. 100% write-off. There is no qualms about that. That shouldn't skip a beat. Perfectly acceptable. Same thing with a shuttle van, right? It's only being used to transfer customers to and from the shop. Why are we even going to think twice? Let's write that off. Now, the kind of, if we're starting to get into the gray area, the most common one in the gray would probably be that shop truck. Owner's truck that used for the business, a lot of times picking up parts with it. Maybe you're also using it to shuttle customers around and stuff like that. So a lot of times these are going to be 100% business use. Now you say, how is this going to be 100% business use? Because what I'm going to go back to my client and I'm going to ask them, hey, are we using this 100% for business? Now, if they come back and they say, yeah, I don't use this for personal use. My wife has a car and on the weekends we use her car during the week at work. I use the business truck that is going to be a 100 percent write off. The biggest thing here is, do you have a vehicle that you could argue use for personal use? If you have three vehicles between you and your spouse and your kid and all of those are in a business name and the IRS comes and looks at this. How are you ever going to argue that it's 100% business use? So if you're doing something like that, you would have to allocate a percentage of it to the business. The other percent would go to personal use. Generally, as long as you have several vehicles and the vehicle that you're choosing to declare as business use is ordinary and necessary, then it's something that is not often looked into very hard. Now, obviously, that ordinary and necessary not only goes along with the use of that vehicle, but what kind of vehicle it is. A GMC Sierra is probably going to be a lot easier to pass that ordinary and necessary threshold compared to a Corvette Z06. Not going to get a whole lot of parts in that Z06 and going to be very hard to argue that spending that much money is ordinary and necessary for your business. Now, one big thing here about a vehicle And the IRS has gotten strict on this in the last couple years, probably five to six years. The IRS does not like to see you writing off a vehicle that is not registered in your business name. I get it. Insurance is more expensive. It's done through the business. I get it that it's a little bit more headache if it was already registered in your personal name to re-register it in the business. But if the IRS comes in there and they see a shop shop truck and they look at that and that's registered to your personal name, they are most likely going to throw it out. I've seen it in the past for legitimate, 100% legitimate business vehicles. As soon as the IRS agent saw that that was registered in a personal name, did not want to hear anything else, it was thrown out. So if you are going to write off a vehicle, it really, really, really needs to be in the business name. Now, this is tricky because if you go to the dealership, they're going to try and talk you up and down. Hey, register in your personal name. Do not take tax advice from a car salesman. They are just doing it because it is a little bit to a lot more work for them to register this in the business versus personal. And a lot of these car salesmen maybe have never done a business deal and it is slightly different. 
So even though it's going to be a little bit more of a headache and yes, insurance is going to be a bit higher, you are guaranteeing, well, not guaranteeing, but you are drastically exponentially increasing your chances that this deduction will stand up in audit. Now, what if you do have that vehicle that is in your personal name? Right. And you're saying, oh, crap, I'm using this for my business. Should I really be transferring this into my business name? So if it's already on the books and it's been on there for years, then it's really personal preference. Like I said, it should be in a business name, but there is definitely a cost associated with switching that over. And it really usually tell depends on how long you plan to keep this vehicle. If you're going to keep this vehicle for a long time and it is still worth a good bit of money, then yeah, probably would go out and register in a business name just to make sure I have nothing to worry about. However, if you're going to trade it in or sell it pretty soon, I would not go and register that because in a lot of states, you're going to have to pay registration, tags, taxes again on that vehicle. So in the fits not above a certain amount, if you're not going to keep it very long, those tags and registration that you're going to pay could be a pretty hefty sum just to kind of throw away when you go and sell that or trade it in. Now, buying this vehicle from yourself personally is a pretty good deal from taxes on both sides of this. So let's say that you started your business in, let's let's say this year, 2023, you started your business. Now you had a Toyota Corolla that you were driving before that had just been sitting at your house and you said, you know, what this would be a great loaner car for my business so you've been using this toyota corolla and been giving out to customers to drive around now i would definitely never ever 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 have a loaner car or something that customers are driving that's in your personal name why because if they crash that you are getting sued not your business now Let's say that you have that loaner car, right? You have that Corolla, the customers are driving it. Not only do you have some liability because it's still on your personal insurance, you also haven't got any tax deduction for that either. So if you want to buy that from yourself personally, how do you do that? So all you need to do is you need to buy it from yourself at fair market value. Hey, what is the worth of that vehicle? All right, going to look up comparable sales, going to look up Kelly Blue Book, you know, based on condition. You know what? That Corolla is worth about 10 grand. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to write a check from my business to myself personally, and I'm going to purchase this vehicle. And so pretend you're buying this vehicle from someone that is not you. So I'm going to write a check to Hunt Demarest. I'm going to code that into QuickBooks as a fixed asset. I'm buying a vehicle and I now have a $10,000 deduction for the vehicle. Now, once I register it, get insurance for it, all of that is going to be deductible. I am 100% good to go. Now, personally, I do not have to report that. I do not have to pay any tax on that. Why? Because I'm selling it to myself for less than I bought it for, right? I paid $20,000 for that Corolla five years ago. Now, obviously, it's not still worth 20 because it's got some more miles on it, but I kept it in pretty good shape. So I think that's a fair number. But I bought that for $20,000. I sold it for ten. dollars I can't take a loss on a personal asset, so it's not like I get a write-off for that. But that $10,000 I just wrote to myself is a business deduction, and I don't have to recognize that personally. So not only did I just put $10,000 in my pocket, I also saved probably about another $2,500 in taxes. So I generated about $12,500 in value just by buying that asset for myself. Now, the same is the case on other personal assets. Right? I've seen this a lot of times over the years for people that kind of do this stuff on the side and then turn it into a legitimate shop. So let's say you had a scan tool that you bought you know, last year, shortly before you opened this business for $5,000. Now that scan tool is used by the shop and your technicians use it. Buy it from yourself. I'm going to write a check from my business to myself for five grand. Not taxable to me personally. Get a write-off from the business. 
all is well. So any of these personal assets that you have that you bought personally with your own funds on this, yeah, if the business is using them, you're allowed to reimburse yourself and get the deduction for it. Now, a couple other things on here that come up a lot. Meals is one of these. We talked about it a couple of weeks ago, meals and entertainment, but we're really just going to be looking at meals. Don't want to dive into this too much because we've kind of beaten this with a dead horse, but self-employed people, the line between business and personal meals is very blurry, especially if your spouse works for you, right? Is that a dinner on town or is that a management meeting where you guys are discussing business, right? Hey, is that you going out to lunch or is that you taking vendors and customers out to lunch? That's all part of a normal and ordinary necessary expense for your business. There is going to be a lot of arguments on this and you can argue this any way that you want. The biggest thing on meals is it's the higher this gets, the more excessive this is, the bigger the area of scrutiny is going to be. And the big thing here is to take a look at it based on what your sales are. So it's not like something where I could say, hey, $10,000 worth of meals looks high. It's going to base on what your sales are. $10,000 of meals is going to look exponentially worse on a business that's doing $100,000 in sales versus a business that's doing $100 million. So you have to look at it from relative size. How much of this is a percentage of my overall sales? And making sure that number doesn't get high. Anytime that percentage is higher, you're asking for more and more trouble there. And meals is another one. So the IRS obviously is looking at ordinary and necessary, but they're also looking for personal benefit here. If it looks fun, the IRS generally hates this stuff. They hate race car, they hate planes, they hate boats, they hate wine. There's a lot of different things out there. There's a lot of specific industries that the IRS takes a lot of scrutiny on because they say, hey, not only can this be leveraged from a tax position, this taxpayer is probably getting some personal benefit out of this. Meals is a primary example. You are going to eat no matter if you're working or not. So, of course, you're going to try to get a tax benefit by writing that off. So speaking of personal benefit, what more personal benefit can you get than travel or vacation? Hey, is that a business trip or is that a vacation? Now, this one gets a little bit easier because the IRS has pretty clear rules here. So a couple things on this for to qualify as a business trip versus a vacation. Business trip, 100% write-off. Vacation, 0% write-off. So first thing on here, you need to leave your tax home. So what that means is you got to travel somewhere. You can't just say, hey, this is a business trip and you're in your backyard. Not going to work. Another thing here is it's going to need to be mostly business. Now, what do I mean by mostly? And this one's a little bit harder because it depends on a number of factors, but generally more of the trip has to be business than it is personal. You go and travel for seven days, four of it you're doing business stuff, three of it you're doing personal stuff, qualifies as a business trip, 100% deductible. Again, ordinary and necessary. Hey, is this an ordinary expense that is common for this industry? And is it necessary or helpful for you to go on this trip? What is the purpose behind it? What are you as your business stand to gain by you doing this? And the last one on here is kind of weird, but it kind of makes sense too. You need to plan it in advance. So why do I have to plan this in advance? Why does the IRS care? Because remember, this is an ordinary necessary expense for your business. So if I'm going on a business trip, I'm going to be planning that to make sure that there's a business purpose, to make sure that there's a reason and stuff that I'm doing. Is that always the case with business trips? Not necessarily. Obviously, there is trips that come up. Hey, I got to go out there. I got to meet with this vendor. They want me to fly out. They want me to demo this product. I got to go in two days. Is the IRS ever going to scrutinize that? No. But also keep in mind here, 
Advanced doesn't mean months. Advanced means that there was some planning going into this. So that planning in advance might mean, hey, I got to leave in two days, but I'm going to go to this vendor. I'm going to go visit this shop. I'm going to do X, Y, and Z. You're planning that. On the exact opposite side of it, what the IRS wouldn't want to see is, hey, I was already planning to go on this vacation. You know what? I'm going to do a detour and I'm going to go look at these two shops. IRS is going to say, hey, you were already going on this vacation anyways. Now you're trying to kind of blur the lines here and call this a business trip. And we're really not too keen on you doing that. So let's give an example here. So let's say you live in Seattle and you want to go to Southern California and spend some time at the beach, sightseeing, enjoying the good weather. That is not a business trip. That is a vacation, no deduction whatsoever. However, what if you want to go to Southern California and instead of going to sightsee, you're going down to meet some fellow shop owners. You want to kind of review their procedures. One of them got some pretty cool ADOS equipment, going to check that out, going to kind of see how they're leveraging that, how they're making that a new profit center, maybe get some techniques and tips and tricks that you can utilize in your own business. As long as more of the trip was spent doing business stuff than it was sightseeing, you're still allowed to go sightsee. You're still allowed to go to the aquarium, go see the beach and whatever. And it's going to be 100% write-off. Now, one other thing here is it's not as common, but if you're going to be traveling out of the country for business, you only need to cover 25%. So domestic travel, it has to be 50% or more is going to go to business. For destination and traveling out of the country, only 25% has to be business. And the rest can truly be personal and it still qualifies. Now, again, it still needs to meet that ordinary necessary. So is one trip to Mexico for a conference going to be ordinary necessary? Sure, right? There could be a lot of arguments on that, probably going to bring back a lot of information and tools to help you run your business. Now, is it ordinary necessary for you to go to Cabo every single week for your business? Probably not. So keep in mind that you can't use this just in a vacuum. You can't just pick and choose some of these and say, hey, I planned, I'm going to see shops. This is always going to work. No. Right. If they see this time and time again, not only is that expense going to get really large, but also if the IRS ever looks at this, it's going to be very hard for you to justify that. Now you understand why is all these coaching companies generally do their conferences and destination location, right? It's, hey, business and travel, you know, business and personal, but we're still going to be able to write this stuff off. Now, last one on here is supply, shop supplies, office supplies, office expense, office equipment and more or less slush funds, dumping grounds for usually not major expenses, but a lot of really small and gray area expenses based on amounts or just overall vendors, right? Office supplies is a notorious dumping ground. Are those Walmart charges for your personal purchases or was that supplies you bought for your shop? Were those Amazon purchases for your kids or was that for your business? Was that purchase at Home Depot for some stuff that you were doing and fixing up around the shop or you just buying tools and stuff for your house, beach house or whatever? You have to realize that when the IRS looks at this, you know, what they do is they get you to print out a general ledger that shows all of your income and expenses over the years, dates, vendors, amounts, etc. And the biggest thing that they're looking here, you know, on the surface is how much you paid for it and who you bought it from. So how much you paid for it is very important because they're probably never going to look at an expense for $40. Remember, they're there to make money. So what they find you, you know, made up that expense for 40 bucks. Yeah, they might stand to gain 10 bucks. They're just not going to look into it. So it has to be material. It has to be big enough for them to care about. And also they're looking at vendors that don't kind of fit in the normal mold, right? What vendors are not ordinary necessary for this business to have? 
All of those vendors that I just mentioned before, Walmart, Amazon, Home Depot, Lowe's, you name it, there is a lot of business expenses that could be going down through there. So just the vendor name alone is probably not going to raise any red flags. Hey, you know what? Once a month, they go out and they buy some supplies from Costco. They stock the pantry for their technicians and get some stuff for the customers. Hey, we're not even going to look into that. Now, obviously, if the IRS ever comes and they want to start looking at those charges, you're going to have to have justification for this. Hey, you went to Walmart. What did you buy? What was the business purpose behind it? If you don't have a ton of expenses in there, you know, a couple thousand bucks, they're probably never going to say a word to you. It's just not enough for them to worry about. But if you do have a ton of them, you better have your backup. You better have your ducks in a row. You better have justification behind why you spent that and what the business purpose is behind here. Again, just like meals, the higher your expenses are, the higher your chances of someone coming and starting to ask questions. If you have $50,000 of office supplies for a business that's doing $500,000, that is a lot of office supplies for a business that is just not generally ordinary having that much office supplies. What do you have? Pens, paper, you know, some ink for the computer. It's not like you got eight copiers and all kinds of stuff in there and all kinds of technology that you need all these supplies and consumables for your business. Right. So just be careful with this. Don't go overboard. You know, don't try and run your entire life down through your business. And speaking of running your entire life down through your business, we've spent this entire episode, you know, 30, 40 minutes here talking about all the advantages and benefits and ways that you can argue these expenses are business. But just because you can does not mean that you always should. So I want to go into kind of some of the risks and downsides of writing off these expenses. So first and foremost, we always have to talk about it. Audit risk. If you do not run any gray area expenses, if you are not aggressive whatsoever, probably never going to get audited. Your expenses are never going to be high enough for the IRS to ever kind of, you know, get their alerts up and come and knock on your door. And if nothing else, there should be a value put on there. Peace of mind is a very valuable thing. And no one wants the IRS poking around. They're not as smart as you think they are. No offense to any IRS agent listening to this, but generally they don't truly, they're not these expert sharks and experts in tax and tax evasion that you might think that they are. They are paid hourly or salary. They're not going to get any of that money by auditing you. I've had a couple clients where the auditors came out and it's been clients that I've been very nervous about and the IRS found nothing, said, hey, everything looks good and they move on with their life. But there are some other ones that are extremely sharp. I've had people make my client's life miserable, 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 putting through the ringer. And the sad part is, is a couple of my clients have been put through the ringer really were squeaky clean, right? They didn't do any of this stuff. They kept good track of all of the expenses they had. And truly, I would have signed that with any sort of perjury statements that it was a 100% complete return. There was nothing out of line there. And the IRS threw the book at them. You are going up against the government, so they do have a threshold that they have to prove, but you're also having them argue against themselves. They are the judge, jury, and the executioner. You can go to tax court. You can appeal this stuff, but at what cost, right? IRS comes in and says you owe 20 grand. You think you might be able to get it knocked down to 10 if you take it to court. Paying a tax attorney 20 grand to try and get it reduced 10 doesn't make much sense. So having that audit risk out there is something that you need to take into consideration because no one wants the state, no one wants the feds poking around. Another thing here that is not often kind of had enough emphasis put on there is you're adding variables to your financial statements, right? You're kind of obscuring the true picture of your business. 
And I've seen this time and time again. Why does my parts margin stink? There's no way. You guys are messing something up or something. someone's stealing from me, right? I think I'm making 50% gross profit, but I'm only showing 25% on my parts according to QuickBooks. What the hell's going on here? And we start looking down through this and I say, hey, you know, kind of personal stuff down through this, race cars, anything like that. No, 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 of course not. So I start diving a little bit deeper into it and I start seeing some telltale signs. Well, what is this purchase from Summit Racing? What is this purchase here? What is that purchase here? And what we uncover is there is no discrepancy whatsoever. Employees are buying parts, your race car down through there, fixing your boat down through your shop. Not that anyone would ever do this kind of stuff, but it is all 100% I wouldn't say allowable, but it's all 100% accounted for, right? No one is stealing. We know where all this money is going, but right there, we just illustrate an example of this is going to give you a completely different impression when you're looking at your books, right? If you're looking at that, you might say, man, I'm going to yell at my service advisor. He must be discounting stuff. I got a theft stealing it. And it's not your employees. It's not your service advisor. It's you, right? So you're kind of making the thing very blurry and making these financial statements really less useful for you as a business owner. Another thing is on the overhead side, right? Why am I not getting this 20% net? Everyone's talking about a 20% net and, you know, having overhead at 30% or less of your sales, but my overhead is at 45%. I just don't know where I can cut stuff out. And what we always have to look at is saying, hey, is your overhead really that high or are you running your personal life down through your business? So, yeah, your profit is very low, but you probably have double the expenses of what your business truly needs to operate. So if you do not have a good handle on your business and you're still trying to work some kinks out and you're still trying to work on profitability and understanding your numbers, I would be very, very careful about running expenses down through there that is really going to obscure the entire picture of what you have going on. Another thing here is banks don't care about this. There is some argument if you go to banks of, hey, I put this expense down through there. But if you go to a bank and you show them that you made $3,000 in profit last year and you want to get a million dollar loan, I don't care how many friends' cars you worked on. I don't care what kind of stuff you were buying from Amazon. I don't care that you're trying to argue that you ran down these different expenses down through your business. Banks have pretty strict rules here, right? For good reason of what they can take into consideration. And if you're completely wiping out your income because you don't want to pay any tax on this, this is 100% going to hurt your chances of financing in the future. And the downside to this is... Because of a lot of banking laws, and specifically the SBA, they're very strict of what number they can use for underwriting purposes. A lot of banks are going right off that tax return. Hey, addbacks are not. I need to go off of line 22 on your tax return to come up with your cash flow to see if you can afford this. If that works, we're going to move forward with this SBA loan. If it does not, the deal is done. When can we look at it again? Next time you file your tax return. So come back to me when your next year's tax return is filed. Think you want to get slick and say, oh, you know what? I'll go back and I'll mend my tax return and then report that income. Hey, it might look better on the bank, but the IRS is probably going to come and knock on your door and say, hey, that first tax return you gave us was about $100,000 lower than the second tax return. What is going on here? And you could really be opened up at a whole nother can of worms that you really don't want to be looking at here. So be very, very careful on this, especially even you that you know, have a pretty good handle on your numbers, have a pretty good handle on what's going in and out of there. If you've got financing coming up, whether you want to buy the building that you're in, refinance, or maybe expand, be very careful and probably don't want to mess around with that at all, right? We want to make sure that we're healthy, make sure that we're bankable, make sure that we're solvent here, even if that does mean paying a little bit more tax than you might like. 
Now, the last one on here is something that people almost never think about until it's too late is selling your business. So if you're going to sell your business, shops are bought and sold really off of one metric, and that is a multiple of net income available to the owner. So if you look at this and I look at a business and say, hey, the last three years, you have made $20,000 of profit. Why are you asking $500,000 for your business? And then this business owner comes back to me and gives me this laundry list of, hey, I run this down through my business, this, I pay this person, I pay for my kid's college through here, my personal utilities, my cell phone, you name it. Everything is running down through there. So instead of being $120,000 of profit, realistically, he's claiming that he's making more like $175,000, right? That is a major departure. Here are the big issues that go into that is there is obviously a huge level of trust anytime that you're buying a business. You're not going to get audited financials. You are kind of taking them at face value to a certain degree. Now, there's telltale signs of, hey, this doesn't really make sense. I don't really believe this. But it is a huge leap of faith to trust what this person is telling you when they're trying to sell their business. Obviously, the less ad backs is going to be a lot easier argument to go and kind of communicate with a prospective buyer. Hey, run my cell phone down through here. My kid's on payroll. Kind of helps me out with some social media stuff. No one's going to argue that. However, if you want to come back and you want to try and say, well, yeah, I've been pocketing about $75,000 worth of cash every single year, and I'm factoring that in when I go and I sell my business because you're going to be able to pick up that cash. I never, ever, ever, if I'm doing evaluation or advising my clients, put any emphasis on pocketing cash, ever. You are telling me that you're willing to lie to the state, the local, the federal government about what your sales really are but you want me to take you at face value, that's just not going to happen. Now, the other end of the spectrum is some people say, hey, if you're trying to sell your business, you should not be running any expenses down through there. I'm not sure that that's necessarily the case. Obviously, the more adjustments that are in there, it's going to be kind of harder to justify. But if it's very easy to kind of pick out, hey, you know what? I was running this, down, this, this, and this down through there. And maybe they were 100% legitimate business expenses, but they're not going to be expense for the new owner. If you can quantify that in a nice, neat package, and it's something that's commonly done in you know closely held businesses, then there's no qualms against that. Now, obviously, if you want to sell your business for top dollar and do not want any questions on it, then yeah, you know, try and keep it as squeaky clean as you possibly can. And lastly on this, that kind of is a combination of those last two of financing and selling your business is even if you can convince that buyer to take your word for it, even if you can convince that buyer on where you came up with this and how this is a good deal for them to buy your business, is their bank going to be interested? That same example that was showing $20,000 of profit, they're asking half a million dollars for that. The bank's going to look at this and laugh. This business cannot support that debt. We are not going to do this loan. So be very, very careful with this stuff. At the end of the day, leveraging the benefits of being self-employed is a common and extremely helpful way to minimize your tax exposure, but within reason. Going overboard on expenses will make you lose sight of your true business operating costs, as well as possibly hurt or lower the value of your business, maybe even completely blow up the possible sale of your business. Pigs get fat, hogs get slaughtered. Proceed with caution here, and no one wants any unnecessary attention on your business. So, I hope this was helpful for you. If it was helpful for no one else, Brian, thank you for your question. Thank you for the idea here. Anyone else, you have ideas for future episodes, you want to come on an episode, or you want me to hear me talk about something, please shoot me an email at podcast at 
Thanks again for listening on the Aftermarket Radio Network. You can find all shows on the aftermarketradionetwork.com and on your favorite podcast listening app. So thanks again for joining me on Business by the Numbers. Stay safe out there, and I will talk to you all next week. You've been listening to Business by the Numbers with Hunt Demarest on the Aftermarket Radio Network. Follow Hunt on your favorite podcast listening app. Let him know what you'd like him to cover. His email is in the show notes. Hunt is all for advancing the aftermarket.